to see all of you. I want to ask you a question. What are the lenses that you wear or that you put on when you're faced with the challenges of life? Or put it a different way, how do you perceive the giants or the challenges of life? When you're confronted with the giants or the challenges of life, through what grid do you perceive them? Second question, what are the current giants or challenges of your life? I'm guessing that all of us are facing at least something whilst that it might take the appearance of a bit of a giant in our life at the moment. How do you perceive it? What's the grid, the lens through which you see the challenges of life? That might make more sense in a moment, but we're in the middle, whilst you're thinking about that, we're in the middle of a, a teaching series. Here at King's we open the Bible every week, and we're in the middle of a series called Sketches. And Sketches is set in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, looking at the life of David, particularly before he became king. David was anointed to be the next king, and he spends some time in preparation for that. And we're saying that uh, the nature of looking in at this story of David's life, the more that we look at the sketches of his life, the closer we look, we start to see something of God, and we start to see something of ourselves, both the people that we currently are now and the people that God's called us to be, the flourishing people that God's called us to be. And this week, we get to the third part of our series, and it's perhaps the most famous story in David's life, perhaps one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of David's encounter with the giant Goliath, which is a story that still resonates down into modern culture. You only have to watch the the first or third round of the FA Cup to hear the phrase David and Goliath mentioned. It still kind of swirls around in our modern contemporary culture. And in the moment, we're going to pick up the story of David and Goliath in verse 12. 23 of chapter 17, if you're turning in your Bibles. And our kids are following the same series as well. So you parents, you can expect a debrief after this with your children. They're going to follow the same story, and you can uh, compare notes and pray it through over lunch, perhaps. And as we read this story, which to some of you will be very, very familiar, I want you to bear in mind this question. What are the lenses that you put on and through which you see when the giants or the challenges of life come up? And if just to refresh your memory about the story, Goliath is uh, the champion of the Philistine army. We're in around 1000 BC, and uh, the Philistines are engaged in an attempt to defeat and enslave the Israelite nation in about 1000 BC. That's the context. And in that culture, it was not uncommon for a nation to nominate a champion, a military champion, to take on a champion from the other army. And so Goliath is the champion of the Philistine army. He is an enormous man, as we know, probably some eight to nine feet tall, which might sound kind of fantastical or even mythical to our ears, but bear in mind the the tallest person in the world that we have on record was a man that lived in Illinois in the early part of last century who was eight foot eleven. So perhaps Goliath's height is not quite as mythical as we might think. And Goliath is a terrifying prospect. He is eight to nine feet tall. He's equipped with the best military hardware that the Philistine nation has to offer, this incredible armor and spear and so forth. And twice a day, for 40 days, he is marching out to the front line, facing the Israelite army and taunting them twice a day for 40 days that they do not seem to be able to send anybody out to combat him or to fight him in single combat. And David 
who is the youngest of eight brothers, has been sent to the front line, not to, not to fight, but to visit his three oldest brothers, who are there to fight, and he's been sent to give them some food and supplies and to find out some news. So that's the context in which we land. Verse 23 of chapter 17. Let me read it to you, and it will appear on the screen as well. Here we go. As he talked with them, that's David, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he hadn't tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And of course, David goes on to defeat Goliath with his sling and a great victory is won but we'll look at that more next week because Paul's going to look at that part of the story next week. So what lenses do you wear when you encounter the giants of life and therefore how do you respond to challenge? You see this famous story that I'm sure all of us would have to some degree have heard of or encountered speaks right into this question. It talks about the giants that all of us face in life and all of us will have or will go on to face giants, challenges in life. Some of you will be facing significant giants at the moment. 
personal giants of, of health challenges or financial challenges or relational challenges. We're in a nation that is facing some national uh, giants, the giants of, of Brexit and how do we respond and who are we and what kind of nation do we want to be in the face of Brexit and terror threats and so forth. There are personal, there are national, there are global challenges. We've been celebrating the birth of children this morning, which has been a wonderful thing to do. And of course, our children can face giants in life, can't they? They can face things that seem really scary and really daunting to them. So for us as parents, he says, in a month to be, and for those of you who are parents, what lenses will our children learn to wear? And also, what lenses do we wear? Will they and will we be able to face the giants of life? I want to look first of all at the lens that Saul wears. Saul is the king of Israel at the time. David's been anointed as the next king, but Saul is the current uh, occupier of the throne. And we can discover the, the, the lens that Saul wears by his reactions. His reactions to the giant tell us an awful lot about the lens that he is wearing. Two reactions. His first reaction is to look to his material resources. Did you notice that in the passage? He looks to his material resources to defeat the giant. In verse 25, David is indignantly inquiring what's going to be done about the threat of Goliath. And Saul's soldiers say to him, the king will enrich the man who kills him, Goliath, with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel meaning he'll be exempt from taxes. That's his material response or reaction. His second reaction is an emotional response because faced with Goliath, ultimately Saul experiences, not only experiences fear, he experiences giving in to fear. His emotional response in verse 11, which I didn't read to you, says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now Saul's responses, both emotional and material if you like, tell us an awful lot about the lens through which he sees life, and indeed perhaps through which you and I see life. In other words, it tells us about the core belief that he has about who he is and what, and what life is, which seems to be, his core belief, his lens seems to be, when threats come, ultimately what he has to offer is his own material resources which are considerable, aren't they, given that he's the king of Israel. He has considerable resources at his disposal. Saul is known to be an impressive warrior. That's partly why he was chosen to be king. He's got impressive warriors in his army. He's led his army to impressive defeats before, uh, impressive victories before. And he has great riches at his disposal with which he can transform someone's life overnight, kind of lottery style. And he has a princess for a daughter whose hand in marriage, presumably most young Israelite men would love to have. Considerable resources. But he has come up against a giant who, it seems, cannot be defeated by his material resources. Because Saul is not stepping up with all of his impressive warrior credentials to be the champion, is he? And nobody else, it seems, is responding to his incentives to step up and be the champion. And so, when Saul's material resources fail him, so his emotional resources fail him. He gives in to fear. 
He's paralyzed by fear. And of course, because leaders set culture, his army and his nation is paralyzed by fear. They are stuck. Day after day, no one can respond to this giant, to this challenge. And what I want to put to you is that if your core belief, in other words, the lens that you put on each day, is that ultimately, bottom line, is that it's down to you to defeat the giants, the challenges of life, then no matter how much success you experience in doing so, eventually you will probably meet a giant in life against whom you come up short. That's what we see, I think, from Saul. Let me illustrate it like this, um, just from a personal example. This week, we've been having some work done on our, on our kitchen. We just moved into a flat, and we're getting a new kitchen putting in and knocking a little wall through to make a little kitchen, diner, and so forth. And we had to think quite carefully about whether to do this, this job, because uh, we're expecting a baby next month, and so our time scale is quite tight. And our builder, who's a friend of mine, is also expecting his first baby next month as well. So the two of us are like, is this going to be a, a doable thing? And we decided that given that the kitchen could be delivered on Thursday, just gone, then the timescale is just about work for it all to be done and everyone to hopefully have a nice, relaxing October. So it's a bit of a risk, but we thought it's on, it's on track because the kitchen can be delivered on Thursday. So imagine my frustration when on Thursday, having received the text from, for the purposes of this illustration, the anonymous DIY store and kitchen supplier, Having received the text telling me they would, be, they would be arriving at 1 o'clock to deliver the kitchen, imagine my frustration when I discovered they had arrived at 10 o'clock, waited around, found nobody there, driven off. And when I phoned them, refused to return. So emotional resources here being tested of patience, as you can imagine. Imagine my frustration more so when I'm told that the kitchen can't be delivered on Friday or Saturday, it can't be delivered until next Tuesday. So I then start to deploy the material resources at my disposal, which in this instance is my negotiating skills. Let me speak to a manager. I need to explain to you how important this is. You need to put this right. All of my negotiating skills, some degree of eloquency and fluency I can bring to the table. And I manage to persuade them that actually the kitchen needs to be delivered on Saturday. You with me so far? And then, imagine my frustration on Friday when nobody phones to confirm this delivery, so I phone instead, and I speak to somebody who says, ah, terribly sorry, Saturday's not possible anymore. Uh, neither's Tuesday, actually, it's going to be next Thursday. Now, we're on such a tight time scale, that means my builder would have to bail, we'd be left with an empty kitchen, which has got moments to complete bombsite of wires and, and, and bits of buildings and things, lots and lots of boxes, and a wife that's about to give birth next month. Frustration is building, emotional resources running out. Ah, I have got more material resources. Maybe I could hire a van, stuff you, I'll go and pick up the kitchen myself and get it done. So I do, I'll hire a van on Friday, and I'm going to go and pick up the kitchen myself yesterday and get it all done. I'm driving down the motorway yesterday, and bearing in mind, I have to arrive at 2 o'clock because I'm told that health and safety means anybody after 2 o'clock can't put the kitchen on the van. Imagine my frustration when I discover the M3 is shut. And my sat-nav tells me I'm not going to get there until after 2 o'clock. At that moment, I am banging my head on the steering wheel. Almost. Emotional resources have pretty much run out. Material resources have run out. I have nothing I can do. So I pray. Which probably should have done all along before. And somehow, due to the wonderful fruit of prayer, and also the glorious people at Apple and Google who make sat-navs on your phone, I did just about get there before two o'clock. 
But in that moment on the motorway, it was like I had a bit of a sore moment. It's like my emotional resources have run out. I am so cross and so frustrated. I'm going to use words that I probably shouldn't be using. And my material resources have run out. I can't do anything. Now, of course, ultimately, that's, it's, it is just a kitchen. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's not the stuff of life. My point is, when it comes to the real stuff of life, marriage, parenting, challenges in the workplace, health, physical health, mental health, many of us have done or will reach a place with those big giants where we realize, actually, I do not have the emotional resources to cope, neither, neither do I have the material resources to solve. And that's the place that Saul gets to. And as a result, the giant is very much there, very much at large, and not going anywhere. However, David has a very different experience. Very different experience because, I want to put it to you, he wears a very different set of lenses. He wears a very different set of lenses. Now, David sees the same giant I think it's important to point out. He sees the same giant. He's just as aware of Goliath's size and might and threats and the perilous position that it puts the nation of Israel in. The lenses that he wears don't stop him seeing. And what I'm trying to say is his faith in God is not about him putting his fingers in his ears and burying his head in the sand and saying, la, 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 I can't see that. Not at all. He sees the giant. He acknowledges the threat that Goliath places. Christian faith is not about burying our head in the sand and carrying on, even though deep down we suspect that reality is not as we're claiming it to be. It's not Christian faith. Christian faith is partly about acknowledging what's in front of us, indeed having reasons and evidence for the faith we profess. So David sees the threat as it is. And, like Saul... He does, to a degree, respond with his emotional and his material resources. He has great emotional resources. His ability to overcome fear with courage is remarkable. And he has material resources at his disposal, too. He's got experience and expertise to draw on. That's what I mean by material resources in this instance. He might not have tackled big, hairy giants before, but he has tackled big, hairy lions and bears and won. He might not be familiar with a suit of armor, but he is familiar with a slingshot, which arguably is a better weapon to have when faced with a large giant because you don't have to engage in hand-to-hand combat. So he does have resources at his disposal. But as important as his courage is and his experience and skill is, did you notice where his ultimate confidence lay? In other words, did you notice the lens through which he sees this challenge? David wears very different lenses to Saul when facing the same challenge. And the key verses are verses 36 to 37. David says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. The reason that David can draw on incredible emotional resources of courage, and the reason that he can, as it were, optimize his material resources of expertise and experience, is because there is a spiritual resource that underpins everything. 
in the way in which he looks at these challenges. That's the lens through which ultimately he sees life. As a child, thinking about today, these babies, these are growing up into be children. It's, David's only 17 at this point, we think. So as a child, he has learnt, I think as a teenager, he has learnt, he's developed such an intimate relationship with God, such a deep sense of trust for God. As a child, clearly. He's found God to be real. The living God, he refers to him as. As a child and teenager, he's found God to be both willing and able to rescue or to deliver, as he says. David was a shepherd boy. He just, he knew isolation, I think, a lot of the time. His father and his brothers made a point of leaving him out of things. Didn't have, by any means, it doesn't seem like a good family parenting experience. And yet, as a shepherd boy, he's learnt to, to play his lyre, his harp, as we learned last week, to worship, to trust God when challenges come along. He's learned as a child and as a, as a young man, as a teenager, not just to know stuff about God, but to know God. And that's the lens through which he's seeing giants and challenges. You can see how David's grown up from all the Psalms, the songs that he writes in, in later life. You can see this is a man who in his younger days learned to know God, to trust God, to enjoy God. I love what David writes in Psalm 27 verse one. He says, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can you say that? Can you say that you look through a lens of life such that whatever the giant comes along, you don't need to be afraid? doesn't mean the giant is not big and scary, but a fear doesn't need to win the day. That was David's experience. David doesn't discount, and nor should you, his emotional resources at his disposal of courage and his material resources of expertise and skill in conflict, but he's realized, and as parents, we want to point our children toward realizing this. He's realized as a child and a teenager that the God of the universe is real and is with him and loves him. So why would he fear giants? Why would he be afraid? So at this moment, we should draw the, the sermon to an end. So okay, that's it. The application, therefore, is we need to be less like Saul and, and more like David. We shouldn't wear Saul's lenses, or depending on our own material resources, we need to wear David's lenses of trusting in God. So go away now and, and need to, frankly, work harder at trusting in God, having more faith. Because often this is how this passage is taught. So we're to step into the shoes of David, and if we encounter our giants like he does, then we can overcome anything if we have enough courage and enough faith. I don't know about you, that doesn't fill me with joy and confidence. I've called this series Sketches because I want us to look hard into the, the sketch of each passage, even though some of them are very familiar to us. And the more that we look into the sketch, like a work of art, the more that we see, it's like if you look behind the characters and the events, you start to see shadows, figures, both of ourselves and of God, appearing in the background. When I was exploring this for myself this week, I, I would love to say I identify with David. I see myself stepping into his shoes. But in reality, I identify more with Eliab in the, in the story. Did you notice him? He's David's eldest brother, the one who speaks pretty sharply and aggressively to David. 
And Eliab is fascinating because he's there, he's present. He's in the mix, on the front line, in the army. He wants to see the, the giant beaten. He wants to see the nation of Israel flourish and move forward. And he, he wants to see those things, but he's not volunteering to be the champion. He's not putting his hand up to, to step out and take on Goliath. His emotional resources have, have kind of run out. Fear has won the day. And we know that he's pretty fearful because when David comes along and kind of pokes that, the sort of bitterness and the anger that emerges from Eliab. I don't know about you, but I think many of us identify more with Eliab in the sense that he's got things to offer. He's got gifts and skills. In fact, when Samuel the prophet went to Jesse's sons to see who'd be the next king, Samuel assumed it would be Eliab because he was such an impressive looking figure. This has got to be him. Eliab's got stuff to bring to the table and so have you. But he's got to a place where he's realized, I don't have the material resources or indeed the emotional resources to beat that kind of giant. I need a champion. I invite you to step into the shoes of Eliab as a more realistic figure. You see, for us as a, for us as a church, the primary Goliath, the primary giant that we're taking on is the reality that in our local context, in our borough, there are many, many, many people who've yet to know what it is to explore the gospel, encounter the love of God, and be empowered to live for him. Thousands, tens of thousands of people. That's probably our giant. Because our mission, our raison d'etre, is to make the love of God known to those that don't know it. That's a huge giant. 170,000 people. And if we think it's down to us, to help them explore the gospel, down to us to mean that they encounter the love of God for themselves, down to us to mean they live lives empowered by the Spirit to extend the kingdom and glorify God, we are not going to win that. I need a champion to do that. I can't do that. I could do some stuff. I've got some things to bring to the table, some, some gifts and skills, and so have you. But as a church, we can't bring down the giant that stops so many people encountering the love of God and having their destiny reversed to one of life forever. We need a champion. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, I would suggest you're also in Eliab's shoes as well because if there is a God and he's real and eternal, then being separate from him is the biggest Goliath, the biggest challenge that could be. If there's an eternal God behind this universe who deliberately knitted you together in your mother's womb. To be separate from that God, I would put to you, is the biggest Goliath you can face. And the Bible teaches that you need a champion to reverse that scenario. The more that we look into this sketch of David's life, the more that we see another figure all the time in behind the events. We see David all the time, but behind David, we so often see Jesus. David ultimately is pointing towards Jesus. David's not inviting you to step into his shoes and have more courage and more faith and beat your giants. David's inviting you to look behind him to see the true champion of heaven. The one that we all need. One born into the tribe of Judah. The same family line as David himself a thousand years later. Jesus Christ who has slain the biggest Goliaths of all. The Goliaths of sin evil and death, the things that prevent us from coming to God, the things that prevent us enjoying the love of God, and that prevents us from living forever with God. 
Look at David. David points us towards Jesus. David went into a valley, we're told, to meet Goliath with a, a shadow of death hanging over him. Jesus Christ went into death itself and came out the other side. David loved his people enough to risk his life. Jesus loved you so much he gave his life. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says there is no fear in perf- there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. If the lenses that you wear in life are those given to you by the God who loves you then no matter what Goliaths come along and indeed what suffering they're able to inflict on you, you can stand still. You can step out and stand if those are the lenses that you wear. You can stand and fight knowing that the true champion, the champion of heaven, has won the ultimate victory and the spoils are yours forever. Parents, we're talking a lot about children and parents today. Just as your marriage is an opportunity, if you're married, to reflect the love of Christ to each other. That's what Christian marriage is. So your parenting is an opportunity to reflect the love of God the Father to your kids. If the lens you put on each day is of someone who is continually exploring the majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that angels long to look into the gospel. It's that deep and wonderful and worthy of our exploration. If you are someone who is encountering the love of the Father for yourself over and over again, if you're someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you will point your children towards the love of the perfect parent. You will train them to wear lenses that mean that when they encounter challenges, which they will, won't they? And they do. Their lens will tell them, the lens through which they see the challenge will tell them, I I know God, he's real, he's with me, he loves me, he's passionate that his love and glory should be known, and he's willing to empower me to defeat my giants. That doesn't mean that our kids won't have questions and objections and that we shouldn't encourage them to challenge, to doubt, to question, to be with them on that journey of exploring the gospel and faith so that they come to their own conclusions. But it does mean that we're training them to wear the lenses of life. That means when giants come, they can stand and they don't end up paralyzed by fear. And that's the case for all of us. That's the case for all of us. I haven't been around for that long, 36 and a bit years, but I've been around long enough to know that even the most well-equipped, the most brightest and the best, eventually you come to a scenario where you realize my emotional resources don't allow me to cope and my material resources don't solve this. And the invitation of the gospel is to step into a relationship with God. That means you are guaranteed every morning to wake up loved, approved of, accepted, delighted in, and empowered. Not empowered to never suffer, but empowered to ensure that suffering doesn't defeat you. With an inheritance that goes on forever. Even the giant of death will eventually claim us. But the gospel tells us that because Jesus Christ came through death into life, faith in him attaches us to him, and we come through the same thing. 
to the giant of death, which the human race is desperate to try and eradicate and delay, but we know it's an implacable foe. The gospel tells you even that giant has been defeated because there's a true champion, one who stepped out and said, I will not just risk my life, but give my life to ensure that sin, evil, and death does not deter your destiny away from God, but towards God forever. And it's people who know that who can then extend the kingdom of God in incredible ways. I love the story of William Wilberforce. I wonder whether Jamie and the band could just join me as I close. There are many stories. I love the story of Wilberforce, don't you? A man who saw a massive giant, a giant of slavery, the transatlantic slave trade, the abomination that was. He saw that giant, but he saw it in the context of wearing lenses that told him he was made in the image of God. He's loved by God, created by God, and so are these people. And that lens meant that he was going to do everything he could, empowered by the love and the spirit of God, to defeat that giant. Now, I'm not saying the giant of human trafficking and slavery is by any means over. But he did do an extraordinary thing in taking out the giant of the transatlantic slave trade. Why? Not because he relied on his emotional resources of courage and his material resources of his political influence, though they were both there, but because he wore lenses that said, God is good, God is great, God is with me, God is a God of justice and mercy and compassion, and these people are made in the image of that God, and so this must not stand. And he slayed that giant. That's what men and women can do, children can do, when they wear the same lenses that David wore. Not by trying hard, but by looking to the true champion, the true David, who's won the victory for us. Can we stand, please? I just want to pray for us, if I may, and then we will begin to close, but really, more importantly, begin to worship again this same God. It might be that some of you sense that God's speaking to you for us. Come and share that with us. I just want to create a space to respond in the quiet of your heart. God, I thank you for speaking to us through your words. Thank you for this incredible story that has echoed down the generations and the centuries. We thank you, though, that ultimately this story is not telling us to try and be like David. It's inviting us to step into Eliab's shoes, to acknowledge we need a champion. There is one in Jesus Christ, the ultimate and perfect one, who has slayed the true Goliaths of sin, evil, and death, and invites us to partner with him to extend his kingdom of love, compassion, justice, mercy into our context. I pray, Spirit of God, would you just clarify what you've been saying in hearts and minds right now? Help us in these moments to put the lenses of God on again. To say, bottom line is, I rely on you, God, not my ability to cope or fix it. Some of you just need to make a, just a very simple response in your, in your heart. God, help me to put the right lenses on again so I see giants as you do. Some of you need to make a response in your heart which says, I want to take a step towards you, God. I recognize my need for you. I recognize your calling to give me 
an eternal purpose and inheritance. Help me to know you. Others of us, there are particular Goliaths and challenges in our lives. But you know what they are. And the God who led David to defeat Goliath is saying to you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Can you say with David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's worship together.